For your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, covering the week of media, marketing, and digital content news. This old marketing. Take it away, boys. Hello, my friends. This is Robert Rose. And welcome to episode number 326 of This Old Marketing for Thursday, June 2nd, 2022. And with me, as always, my friend, my colleague, and a guy who hasn't yet made his horror movie remake of Winnie the Pooh, Mr. Joe Polizzi. All right. You're just going to let that I one hang there for a while. Get, yeah. <laughs> I do not get at all where you're going with this one. So what what what? So you have not you have not seen about? this. This is this is okay. So here's the thing: Winnie the Pooh has now come into the public domain as a content property. Okay. Now you can't go duplicate the Winnie the Pooh that Disney made, of course, because the likeness that they have created is under their own uh, intellectual property. But Winnie the Pooh, the character, and Winnie the Pooh, the story, is now in the public domain, so you can kind of do with it what you want. And so apparently this, uh, I have not seen the movie yet, but there is a movie that is out now uh, called Winnie the Pooh and the Blood Rain or the Blood Dance or something like that. It is a horror movie that has been made about Winnie the Pooh and Piglet being, you know, serial killers or something. Well, and it's going around. It's 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 it, it, it's the most ridiculous, but most internet, but most wonderful thing. Yeah, you know, be. my first reaction is this sounds like a horrible, the one horrible aspect of public domain. But part of me really wants to see it. Like, I really want to see what they yeah. do. How I they mean, treat this. you know, horrible. And more and more of this is going to start coming into public domain. More and more of these sort of. Uh, these old classics are coming into, you know, it's getting to the point now where old films are coming into public domain, old, you know, stories, old characters. And, you know, you're going to start seeing more and more of this for sure. You know, it's funny. I've read a couple books by Madeline Miller recently, and it's all around uh, the Iliad and, and Greek mythology and whatever. And all that stuff is obviously you can use whatever you want yeah. out of that. And it's so refreshing and original. And it's it's odd that more people don't do that. The, I mean, there's because there's there's that don't take advantage that of don't the, take advantage yeah. that don't take advantage of of going back and if you see all the popular works that were done that are available for you to do whatever instead of just saying oh man I'm sitting here and I can't think of something for my novel or you know <laughs> whatever go back it's it's yeah well I mean you you saw this there was a a flurry of you know sort of rom coms made out of Shakespeare sure. scripts. Um, you know, not too long ago, like the, t- I think it's 10 things I hate about you was, is basically taming of the shrew, um, you know, but set in, you know, 1990s or early two thousands, you know, high school. So you, you saw, you've seen some of that come out, but, but you're right. Not a lot of people have taken advantage of this. Maybe we should do something. Okay. Forget that. Yeah. Forget, <laughs> totally forget that because we have we, we have just snow white basic, i think we should do snow white and the seven well, dwarves like just basic blocking and tackling that we don't do like finally like there's a couple of our listeners that finally realize that our youtube distribution is back up because i was having problems with it all kinds of issues and did you know that the one episode where I called the Webby award-winning episode, which, by the way, was maybe one of our greatest episodes we've ever had, it got blocked by YouTube. Yeah. Because it did. No, it didn't. Because yes, we mentioned the Webby. because Webbies. I had it in the title. They made it private and said, sorry, you can't distribute this. And I'm like, what? Are you kidding me? But the last episode, oh, which I called Darkwing 84 and other marketing conspiracies, sure. went through yeah. just fine. No yep. problems there. Of course. I just didn't yeah. realize I had to watch my titling that's- for YouTube. So there's that. Anyways. Well, that's because Google's algorithmic logic is as smart as a bucket of pucks. <laughs> it does not do well when it's stuff. Well, that's, just, the, that's the challenge yeah. with, I mean, the AI they have is really good, but you can't, it can't be perfect. And you cannot have human beings do this. There's just too much content. You know, there's a billion hours of well, content you every hour. Can have human beings do this, but it would be it would slow things down considerably. Yes, you can't. I mean, if they yeah, if they had to have a human look at it, you know, yeah. and you wanted to well, upload a podcast, of, be it'd be weeks, months. 
can't can't happen. That's right. Of course. Absolutely. Yeah. So, but well, you know, I mean, it's, it's sort of the trade-off, right? You know, you get the the high quality curation and all of that, but you lose you lose speed. You know, I mean, it's like when you know, when you ask yourself, well, what is the right amount of time? How long should it take? You know what I mean? It's like to some people have said this, and well, I know we'll talk about Meta here in a second because they're in the news this week. But you know, the the the, the question is, should we be able to get the immediate gratification for hitting post on a Facebook? You know, on a, on a on a face piece of Facebook, cut, or should it go through some level of scrutiny or time to either a give you a chance to retract it or give you know the curation engine a, a chance to retract it? Because so many Facebook posts are awful because they're done in the heat of the moment. I wonder if yeah, there's there's. <sighs> You know, it's including, by the way, that, you know, I mean, it's just an awful, awful example, but it's a perfect one, which is the people who are live streaming their, you know, their, their, their horrible, you know, you know, the Uvalde school shooting is, is, is a, is a great example of this. It's like, should we be, should we expect that live streaming is actually live or there, should there be some level of delay? I mean, it works fairly well. I mean, how, how much delay are we talking about? But it, what is it? A seven second delay for television? Yeah, but that's but the yeah, but that's a human that's right. intervention, right? There is a human intervention there that's watching that with a big red, you know, opt and out. There's button. nobody. Yeah, I don't know. I think that our expectations are immediate, and you, exactly, it exactly. would be nice. I think, I think it would be okay until you get some level of credibility, and you're a live streamer, and you get the check mark or whatever that means that you do this consistently. Which, if you get that, whatever that is, you can upload immediately. Like, if you got the blue check on Twitter, whatever the case is, you can do things immediately. But if you don't, you have to work up to that credibility, and there's like an hour period of that somebody has to wait. I don't think that's too much to ask. Yeah. I think I think you're right. I think that that's an interesting way to, that's an interesting way to model it, for sure. Or the other way to do it is if you want to have the pay gate. <laughs> Yeah, that's another one, right? That would make you identify yourself and and make you because you're paying for this to get in, very much like when you sign up for a trading account and and those sorts of things where you have to sort of, you know, pay to get in and then prove that you're a human and all of that like, you know, what we've talked about as a model for Twitter. Then now you get that, right? You pay, you know, for your money, one of the things you get is immediate Do you, Can posting. you imagine first of all, there would be an outcry I know we're probably going to talk about oh, Twitter at gosh, some point. It would be, it would be crazy. But let's just take Twitter. Yes. Let's say you you you're going to use that rule, and if you pay three bucks a month, you get immediate posting on everything and commenting. And if you don't, it's not. You have to wait an hour. I mean, it would. There'd be millions and millions of dollars a month going to Twitter's bottom line just from that move. Now, so a lot of people would not like it, yep. but it would clear out you know some of the wrongdoing. I think. It would clear out a lot of things. It would clear out a lot of bots. It would clear out a lot. It would. There would be so much that it would clear out. It would, and you're right. People would be furious about it, right? Yeah, but I mean, we we should. They should be talking to us, and they're not. And we're going to cover a Twitter story here. There's so many things that we can fix. We are. That you and I could fix at Twitter, but they're not listening. So I don't know. Well, let's talk about all. The yeah, things let's do that. that. We should fix. Yeah, but you're gonna are you are you gonna talk <laughs> yeah. about what? I mean, this this is like breaking news of what's going on at Meta here. This today. is breaking news, actually. Yeah, over the last over the last uh, day or so. Yeah, so we'll open with this just to talk briefly about it because it feels like we should talk a little bit about it. Which is, of course, Sheryl Sandberg has said. You know, she's tapped out basically of uh, Facebook, the parent company Meta, as chief operating officer. And we'll talk a little bit about that. We'll talk a little about the inside uh, baseball of the depressing place that is now Twitter. I think um, yours truly made a pretty good call on that uh, a few weeks back. Uh, We'll talk a little bit about media and how it's pivoting back to free content with ad revenue and subscription revenue sort of seeing uh, interesting disruptions. And then we'll talk very quickly around NP Digital and their acquisition of Answer the Public, the SEO wonderful little tool that sits out on the web and, and why that's such an interesting development in the world of content marketing. 
And Jonas Brothers, because Jonas Brothers, the huge investment technology, I know I have no idea what I'm talking about there. <laughs> Jonas Brothers are backing this new subscription media business that's going to be launching. And then we'll talk about the first case of insider trading for NFTs and how the Justice Department is starting to actually have some backbone and, and, and crack down on some of this stuff. And we'll talk about some of the implications there. I will have some commentary around the Supreme Court and its recent decision to block social media, uh, Texas law, which said that uh, basically harmful content uh, couldn't or should be removed and, and the Supreme Court's action there and what that might mean. And you are going to talk a little bit and, and, and rave a little bit about what is it again you're going to Oh, I got I, I'm going to talk about the, the Michelob Ultra guy. And uh, and a book That's recommendation right. with the the guy in front of Tiger That's as right. he was he was actually watching the action happen. Yes, instead and of yeah, I love that whole story. So we'll talk about that, and then I've got a great book recommendation that I've been yeah. just raving about all over the place. So we'll talk about that too. Fantastic, and we got a lot to get through, so we'll get through it as quickly as we possibly can because there's a lot of news this week. It seems um, a lot of things for us to fix. <laughs> yes, exactly. Just just so, only so much um, time. Let's do this. Let's <laughs> let's get to, let's get to and fixing. The first one is that uh, yeah that um, Facebook is losing a few executives. It seems like just breaking news, literally yesterday and today. Uh, Sheryl Sandberg, the it's an end of an era, says most of the headlines. Fourteen years um, at Facebook uh, as the chief operating officer, and had made a special sort of deal with uh, Mr. Zuckerberg on what her role would be when the company was very young and and growing, and and quite frankly breaking a lot of rules, and where she leaves it today. Um, what do you think about this? I mean, Cheryl, and, and then there's there's other breaking news that we can also cover about another executive that's leaving. But what do you think about Cheryl Sandberg leaving Facebook? Is this you know does this change the face of Facebook, yeah. or is this just you know her 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 leaning in as it were? Yeah, she's leaning job? out. Uh, it, it seems. And then hat tip to Joe Bagonis who sent us a another. This just happened like five minutes ago. Meta says vice president for. Are you sure, that's not Dan. That's, that's yeah. Not well, we Dan, call him Dan. Dan. His is name's it, Joe. But yeah. <laughs> we like to call him Dan. So he, he said us a tweet. He right. said, Danger, right. D-A-N, yeah. is my middle name. So that's that's very nice of you, Joe. Um, so Joe sent me yeah. a tweet that says, uh, Meta says, Vice President for AI, Jerome Presenti, will depart in uh, from Meta as well in uh, in mid-June. So here's... They're, they're obviously, Robert, and we've covered this for weeks on the show, they're going through some strife. And, and I think a lot of that is because of TikTok. And they don't know what to do. It's not just what's been happening in the leveling off of Facebook, but I think it's it has a lot to do with Instagram here. And I guess my take, and I would love to hear what you think, it almost seems like they're so fixated on TikTok and replicating with Instagram what TikTok's doing that they're ruining their entire business, which is not bad. Like, I don't think there was anything broken necessarily with Instagram, but in Instagram's new search to become TikTok or better than TikTok. They're they're I don't know if you've been on Instagram lately, but it just feels different. I'm seeing more sponsor stuff. There's more push to reels, which they want to be that's, you know, their broken version of of uh, not broken, but not as good a version as is TikTok. But TikTok, I know a yeah. lot of creators that were just fine and happy and a lot of users that were just fine with Instagram being the picture picture place. But no, now everything's got to go to video. Why? Why do they have to do that? Why are they breaking what is not broken to to catch TikTok? And I think that has a lot to do with it. So it seems maybe Cheryl and maybe whoever else who doesn't think like Zuck is thinking, um, they're they're on the outs. I don't know. What do you think? I have I have to think that. Uh, th- <sighs> I have to think this is more about the doubling down in metaverse yeah. stuff uh, than it is around the the sort of slow disintegration of, of, of some of their main product lines, you know. And, and and quite honestly, I think the Sheryl Sandberg thing is she's just I think she's tired. You know what I mean? I think I, I, I I'd have to think that after fourteen years of of this, she's got other things that she wants to do. 
And, you know, in her note, which was, you know, very flowery and very, you know, you know, it, it you know, it, it, it certainly glossed over many of the, you know, the, the challenges that she leaves and certainly that has had at Facebook, you know, by, by talking about, you know, but, you know, you wouldn't expect that in sort of an exit note anyway, but, but the, the way it sounds is that she's, she's just ready to move on and do something different with her life. I'll take her at her word on that and just say, yeah, I, I, after 14 years, I'm probably ready to do something different too, you know, just, and she, you know, apparently wants to get into philanthropy and, and, you know, there's some rumor that she may run for office of some kind or something like that. But that, that remains to be seen. I think on the other hand, you're, you're exactly on point with some of the other executive shakeups and some of the other things that we've heard around Facebook, which is the, you know, the, the, the attention being placed on the metaverse and Oculus and all the things that, that Zuckerberg is clearly passionate about moving the company in is to the detriment of the other sure. product lines, which are, you know, to your point, not broken, um, but becoming more broken as they try and simply copy those competitors that are biting around the ankles. And of course, you know, TikTok is a giant jaws, not biting around the ankles. It's coming to bite the head off. But, it, you know, it, I think that threat is certainly there. But that threat with TikTok is for, for yeah, for every every right every now. company I mean, it's, media. It's just it's just curious. Yeah. I, I agree with you. It's probably been too long. And Sheryl Sandberg should have left a while ago. It's just curious with yes. the multiple executives in a couple days. I'm. I'm sure in your career, I've been through a couple of these meetings where it's the get in line meeting where you have the CEO or the board stand in front of you and say, here's our new direction. Here's what we're doing. And here's the vision. And if you don't believe in vision in this vision, then let's you're going to talk with your with me, the me, meaning the, the CEO, and we'll figure out a nice departure for you. I mean, I've been in two of those meetings and they are. Very powerful because you get people to hey, I'm staying here no matter what. You get other people saying, screw this, I'm out. And you could be seeing, you could be yeah. because you're right. And, and- if you don't, if Mark Zuckerberg gets up there and he is a true believer in whatever his idea of the metaverse is and its integration with um, VR and Oculus, there's a lot of people that don't believe that that's the future of the metaverse, his idea of it. Uh, and, and, and it's it, it would take a lot of yeah. convincing for for very intelligent people to to think that that's going to be it. I could see them saying, "Forget this, yeah. I'm gone. Let, let's go." And I also think, you know, I mean, and we talked about this, uh, you know, a couple of months ago when really the air got sucked out of uh, you know Facebook's stock price, and we talked about at that point, you know, all of these employees certainly. The more senior, but yet not maybe C level uh, employees looking at their options plan and going, you know, hey, all of a sudden those golden handcuffs aren't so golden any longer. And and you know, looking at my options, it's like, do I really want to? You know, it's it's one of the things when I sold my house back in two thousand six, which on paper makes me a genius, um, you know, but it was the reason I sold my house and and moved. Uh, wasn't because we saw the peak of the real estate market, which is 2006, 2007, when it was all frothy and, you know, people were knocking on other people's houses and saying, hey, can I buy your house, you know, for 5x the asking price. And the, but the reason I sold my house was because we were coming up on a big balloon payment. The, you know, it, the, the electrical needed to be redone. The plumbing needed to be redone. The roof really should have been redone. So I was looking at all these expenses and saying, do I really feel like being here another 10 years? And we didn't. And, and, and so we said, you know, now is the time to sell because we can, you know, we can do it. We don't need to do all these things in order to sell the house and make money on it. We can get out while we can and go move somewhere else for 10 years. And that was a great move for us. And, you know, that same calculus happens in the corporate world as well, where, you know, they know the stock's going to go back up eventually, but it's like, oh, do I really want to spend another eight or 10 years of my life so that I vest this thing, you know, in, in the way that I had originally intended? Or do I just take my losses and move on to something different? Yeah, it's, it's a great point. Just so everyone knows that Meta is down, they're up actually 5% today, but they're down 42%, 43% from their high. 
and they're down right around to their 2018 levels, believe it or not. So that's yeah, yeah, it's crazy, and and it doesn't look like it's coming back anytime soon. I could be, we could be wrong about that, but Facebook is not. It's not going to have a bounce back like a like an Apple is that there doesn't seem to be anything wrong with the business model. There's there's enough things going wrong with the growth at Meta where there's some concern that they're not going to get the premium valuations anymore. So to your point, might be a really good idea for these executives to get out while they can and reinvest that yeah, knowledge. And just go do and, something and else, you know, somewhere else. Well, and you've made the point a couple of times really well where it, you 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 talk about you know this is the perfect time to double down and start something new. And that has to be a motivating fact for a lot of these executives too. It's like, you know, they see that same economic conditions and they're like, Hey, this is the, this is my time. This is my time when I can actually go out and try something new and get in at the bottom and, and really, you know, and ride something up to the top and, you know, and, and, and really do something interesting. And so it's an opportune time to jump from one ship to another ship because it's there's you know there's a lot of churn going on right now so there's a lot of opportunity. So we'll see. I mean it's 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 interesting. Uh, and then isn't there something going on yeah. on Twitter as well? Like do we have to cover that? And now I know you need it. Time for a sponsorship break. Be back in a bit. So the sponsor of this episode of this old marketing is Zapier. Now, I've heard about Zapier because they sponsor quite a few of the podcasts that I listen to. So, go podcast advertising. Anyway, as part of the sponsorship, they made a little ask of us to actually try using Zapier before we promote the heck out of it. Small enough ask, I thought. So, basically, Zapier is supposed to help you be more productive by tying your apps together and creating simple tasks, which I learned are called Zaps. So, I signed up. Now, for my Zap, I wanted to keep track of all my calendar appointments into a spreadsheet and then put the name of the person I'm meeting with, their email address, and the date together automatically. Now, I've always wanted to do this as part of lead scoring. Basically, a meeting with me means something important happened, and I wanted to keep track of this. It took me five minutes to set this up. Now, it automatically populates the spreadsheet for me, and believe me, if I can do this in five minutes, you can do it in three. It's super easy to understand. So now, unfortunately, or fortunately, I'm a believer. And I have a bunch of things I want to do with Twitter and Discord to help me be more productive. Seriously, check it out. Go to zapier.com T-O-M to try it today for free. That's Z-A-P-I-E-R dot com slash T-O-M. And please use the code so they continue to sponsor this old marketing podcast. Thank you. And now back to the future award-winning marketing and media podcast, This Old Marketing. Thanks for listening. Well, yeah, the same thing, right? The same the, the same thing is going on at Twitter. And we'll, the, the news story that we'll cover here is from Bloomberg. Um, the article opens up by saying, it's a bad time. Inside Twitter, shuffled jobs, Elon Musk tweets, Everything is dampening the morale. Uh, the Bloomberg article starts off by saying Twitter employees are enduring the whiplash of a public commentary from the social network's future owner, a changeover in leadership, a hiring freeze. And on top of all that, some are going to start to be assigned new jobs as the company shifts away from its riskier projects. Executives told workers of plans to pull back resources for some long-term ambitions, including audio spaces, newsletters, and communities in favor of focusing on more immediate needs like user growth, personalization efforts, according to people familiar with the matter. Um, basically, the article goes on to talk about how uh, Jay Sullivan, who had taken over product leadership, uh, has, uh, is leaving um, and uh, – uh, or excuse me, he's leading the restructuring um, and uh, basically uh, – it goes on to talk about how, you know, the teams on side Twitter are trying to work on an edit button, which is like, that's got to be the most depressing new feature to be working on. What's your job? You could be working tweets. on some really cool thing. You're like, no, we're working yeah. on an edit button. We're looking on innovation. You can edit your tweets. Yay. That's a, that's something that goes on the LinkedIn profile, you know? So all of this is, is being driven of course, by Elon Musk and all of his Twitter uh, shenanigans and everything going on with them in the news. And, Basically, 
one internal discussion uh, shortly before Twitter's board accepted the, the deal, an employee was asked if anyone was excited about the idea of having Elon on board. The question prompted 446 replies from dozens of employees over three days, many of them negative, according to posts reviewed by Bloomberg. Some replied that Musk didn't seem to grasp the challenges Twitter faces around speech or building a social network more generally. I, I think this is, you know... This is not a good time for Twitter. And, it, and and once again, as I've said many times before, it's the kind of thing that makes me sad because those people are putting in the hours. They're putting in the 10,000 hours to really do something, what they hope is interesting. And just some knucklehead is coming in and, and, and just knocking everything around and, and busting up the joint. And it's, it's, really, it's really quite annoying because – if this is true about Twitter, like the audio spaces, that was one of the more interesting things around Twitter was the was the spaces and audio stuff. And if they're going to kill that or just sort of let it languish out there, that's you know just it's just sad because that's that was really. Yeah, I don't interesting. know if I have any constructive thing to add to this conversation other than the fact that Elon Musk, if he wanted to see change happen at Twitter, he's done a remarkable job of seeing change happen and there's change no matter what happens, if the deal goes through or not, uh, I could absolutely see in six to nine months, nothing happening, whatever the case is the, obviously the, the sale price that he put out there, 5420 is not going to happen. Cause right now the stock's at $40. People don't b- believe it's going to happen. So Elon's going to come back with, yeah, yeah he's either going to come back with, oh, um, uh, the uh, smaller number, which they can accept or not. I could see him coming back with something in the 30s that they should absolutely say no to. Doesn't matter. None of that matters. But you've got executives that are going to be leaving here. You've got talent that is uh, is not in it anymore. They're not working on the projects. They're not innovating anymore. And it's going to be a shell of the company it was. And it's just sad that one yeah. person is I'm, able to My prediction – my prediction now is that there is somebody going to wait in the wings. And what's going to happen is, is that Musk is going to, Musk has already lost his taste for it, I'm sure. Um, and is just, you know, it's all theater from now till I think it's October that they have to sort of finalize things. Um, but from, from now till the fall, let's say, you know, just this summer is going to be lots of positioning around, oh, it's not what it seems to be. And, oh, there's many bots. And, you know, his just excuse and bullet point after bullet point after bullet point. And they're going to at, at some point say, we couldn't come to terms. There's a problem. Musk is going to pay some penalty because he's supposed to pay some penalty. There will be lawsuits about plenty. And somebody comes in in the late fall, my prediction would be, and actually buys Twitter for a song. Because at forty bucks a share, now it now it all of a sudden it is a bargain. Yeah, it's, it's like uh, instead of selling it for forty four billion, it's going to be around thirty billion, maybe high twenties. Yeah, yeah high or 20s, maybe less. something like yeah, that. Maybe less. There's actually I don't know if you listened to yeah. it. There's a really yeah. good short interview that uh, Prof G did. Oh, I can't remember the expert. I'm sorry. I apologize, but it talks about the the cascading effects and things that will happen. And uh, so if you want to go through the pricing and yes or no, but the thing I thought was really interesting that I wasn't aware of, when Elon came forward with, here's how I'm going to fund the purchase, you know, Tesla stock on paper and all this, he said there was like a $14 billion funding gap that he never said where it was going to come from. And because the guy right. was saying, the, this uh, accounting expert was saying, because of the price depreciation that happened in Tesla and because of the $14 billion and I don't know where it's coming from money, Elon Musk could absolutely come back to Twitter and come, come back to the legal teams and say, sorry, because of these extenuating factors that I didn't think were going to happen, I can't, I can, I'm getting out of this deal. And you can say you want your billion dollars in breakup fee, but I'm not doing that either. And that'll be it. Yeah, that's, I think that's right. I think that's right. And he will leave in his wake a a much a much maligned and very you know very weakened Twitter, which was already weak. So it's it's just sad. A sad, sad. It's just it's a sad it's, state of it's, affairs. It's really. horrible because it was it's still one of my favorite platforms. But you, you can, it is mine too. Yeah. Bye Twitter. Bye. Yeah. We'll see ya. <laughs> We'll see. It's be Twitter, <laughs> Winnie the Pooh, and Twitter strike back. The, we used, that's what we should do. We should do a Winnie the Pooh and Twitter. Oh my mashup. god, that would bring them back. 
that would that would that see we've already oh, fixed and we it. could tweet we that and with a little video and this is for it. all you much maligned twitter employees this is for you that's right we that's love right. you we're standing that's next right. to you in solidarity <laughs> That's exactly it. Boo Eli. I like it. All right, let's move along to our next story here, which is around media companies, um, as we've been talking about them uh, on this uh, on this show. And the headline here from Simon Owens Media Newsletter, which I didn't know much about until you sent this to me. Um, media companies are pivoting back to free content. Publishers have loosened their paywalls after witnessing both a slowdown in subscription growth and a rising demand for ads. Media companies are pivoting back, uh, says Simon. As someone who writes a lot about digital subscriptions, I sometimes go back and read the early media coverage of the New York Times digital paywall. Launched in March 2011, it served as the catalyst that kicked off a veritable subscription boom among news publishers. Before then, people seriously wondered whether consumers would pay for digital news, but it didn't take long for the entire publishing industry to change its tune once the gray lady announced several subsequent quarters of impressive uh, subscription growth. Within a few years, nearly every newspaper, both national and local, was operating its own metered paywall. When I reread the Times 2011 paywall announcement, the thing that jumped out was the number of free articles readers could access before triggering the paywall. 20. That number just seems so insane to me now, given that no current day paywall is that generous. This uh, article goes on to talk a little bit about how paywalls have become more restrictive uh, over the last few years, uh, but that there are changes coming along. In fact, he says Quartz, announced several weeks ago, is doing away with its website paywall entirely. The Independent, a paper located in the UK, just launched a new update to its app that makes it available to non-paying users. LA Times published a big piece recently about the rise of free advertising-supported streaming apps like Tubi, Pluto TV, and Freevee. Well, let's talk about Freevee, but uh, all right. And then when NBC News built its own streaming service, it issued. Issued. He uses the word issued. Issued. Um, I'm going to issue you uh, a subscription model, and it's reportedly profitable from its ad sales alone. Basically, he goes on to talk about how the publishers are really realizing that they were quick, too quick maybe to write off advertising as a source of growth. Um, that's certainly uh, something that Netflix has come to the conclusion to. Anyway, he goes, goes on uh, some, some more about his analysis of this thing. What do you think, Mr. Pulitzi? Is this uh, – is this just a dip in the road for subscriptions, or is it sort of a, a, a rejection of that model at well, the, not, at the larger level? Well, it's not a rejection of that model. There's nothing wrong with a paywall model. It's just we overcorrected. We went from all advertising to everyone said, oh, the savior for our content creation platform is going to be a paywall strategy or a membership strategy. By the way, um, I'm surprised you didn't meet Simon Owens was at Creator Economy Expo. I didn't, should have, I didn't get a chance to introduce you to together so there you go anyway simon's interesting because he writes he writes ah, about content yeah. creation but he writes it from a small media company standpoint instead of just hey i'm okay. a content creator all right it i mean it's it's his writing yeah. is fantastic i was very taken with his so, newsletter yeah, we, so we, i've, we've I've covered, yeah, i covered that's why we've covered I quite a bit on on the tilt uh for a while but i love this piece because let's put it th- let's put it simply so the size of the solar system. Let's pretend that's advertising at sponsorship dollars. <laughs> I love how you say we're going to talk about okay, this. But this is, people can understand this. Your mouth so everyone pictured the, everyone picture the size of our solar system. It's big. It's vast. Yes. There's a lot of it. And then I want you to think of Pluto. Pluto is so small, it's not even a planet anymore. I feel bad for Pluto. Right. right? The solar system, that's advertising and sponsorship dollars available. Pluto, that's what's available from everyday consumers to buy your stuff and to pay for it every month. So at first, it was great because Pluto wasn't being used for anything. So we're like, great, yeah, Pluto's out there. It's great. We can see it. It's a planet. Everything's wonderful. But then all of a sudden, Pluto's not a planet because it's all used up now. So where are you going to go for your dollars if you're a media company, if you're a content creator? You're going to say, look at all these dollars in the solar system. And that's what we're seeing right now. So there is a shift back. You'll still see there's nothing wrong with paywalls. There's nothing wrong with membership models. But there's only so many dollars. We talked about this with the Netflix thing. You know, you, you got your Netflix, you got your HBO Max, you got your Roku stuff, Roku stuff uh, you got your Paramount Plus, you got your Apple TV, and you're like, so I'm paying 60 bucks, and then I'm, I'm going to be paying 100 bucks and 200 bucks more than cable. 
people are done with that. They're not going to pay anymore. You're only going to pay for what was the I can't remember. It was the Pew Research that said we only pay for like five subs, content subs per person, and then we're done. We can't do anymore. So what's a content creator and media company to do? Go out and find sponsors. I know we might be running into a recession here. or Everybody's talking about it, but there's still lots of sponsorships available, and and especially for small creators. Uh, We've never seen as much acceptance by larger brands to go in and work with smaller creators. Uh, who are sort of leading experts in their niche. So that's kind of what I'm thinking. This is a, a correction that was needed. So if you're, a, if you're a smaller creator or media company, your lowest hanging fruit is not a paywall. It is absolutely into sponsorship dollars, in my opinion. Okay. Well, first of all, let's just say for the record that the solar system metaphor just – that was ridiculous. That was beautiful. That was just I think everyone <laughs> – now it's it going to was... be the title – of this, because I have titling control. I see. And all my stupid titles that I come yes. up with for, for our podcast episodes. See, I get to do that. So now I'm going to call something something that says Robert Rose, Pluto, and the solar system. There you go. There you go. Well, and make it Pluto the Disney character, not Pluto. That way we'll get flagged oh, yeah, by see, YouTube again. Oh, my God. If I, <laughs> good thing you told me that, because we'd be oh, – you're so valuable for this yeah. podcast. It's those little nuggets this is what I, this that is you what bring I offer. to the table that make all That's, the difference. Yeah. Exactly. This is what I offer. This is what I offer. You know, and I think you're right. I mean, generally <laughs> speaking, um, you know, belabored metaphor aside, um, I, I do think you're right. But but here's what I would also say, which is many of those media companies didn't. And and by the way, B two B companies do this as well with gating content, right? Which is they equate their stuff with they look at the New York Times as the model and they go, we could do that too. And we should gate our content in the same way. We should create those subscriptions and paywalls, et cetera, et cetera. And that but what they fail to they're not self-aware enough to realize is they're not the New York Times. You know, it's like what's behind the paywall is what's important, right? And and so when you're, you know, B2B companies use this all the time, it's like, oh, we'll gate content. But if behind the gated content is stuff like, you know, case studies and your brochures and data sheets and spec sheets it's like no that's that's just that's just ridiculous and silly if you're gating truly valuable wonderful things that people want to subscribe to and you're creating an audience member by by creating valuable things that people want to give you that data in 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 you know in exchange for that's a different thing so the, these news companies all of a sudden realized, yeah, we're not the New York Times. We, we, we're we not making this work in the same level that they are. And so they can go back to advertising and all those kinds of things. And But but largely speaking, I've always thought advertising is, 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 the, is the right – is a right um, approach for many companies. Just we can also evolve what we do with advertising as well. It doesn't all have to be banner ads, right? I mean, it, there are there are ways to do advertising in more clever ways to create a great user experience while you also yeah. Well, you know, pay that's the bills. a great point about advertising. And I, when I was talking about my solar system metaphor, I said sponsorships, which is very very. Which one is that? Is that Saturn? You'll or just is have that, to find uh, out there with have to uh, do some research. Okay, but I all right. I believe that. I believe the that Kepler more belt. creators need to think about belt. sponsorship packages because you do not want to have the apples to apples comparison, get into the CPM wars, anything like that. Put together a sponsorship so it's <laughs> it's difficult for the sponsor to say, oh, well, I can put it against this one, this one, and this one. And say, oh, now I can. No. Right. You, what you're delivering should be very unique. And you should bring some things to the t- intangibles to the table that only you can bring to the table. The other thing I wanted to mention before we go on to the, yep. the next article is we had an article that we were going to talk talk about in this show that I could not get access to because you have a membership and I don't. Yeah, and I said, right. you know, we were crunched for time that's and you right. just said, well, just cut it. And that's happening more and more. And we are covering less of those paywalled and so that's a you know if you're new york times we might still cover it and i'll figure out a way to read it or you're going to send it to me whatever and but if it's a smaller media company we probably will just give up on it or find it somewhere else so we're not sharing that content right we're not and that's that and a content. lot of that has to do with i don't want to send yeah i don't want to send gated articles to our audience either right you know where they where they have to be a member in order to that's enjoy right. it because we so care that's, that's you know because we 
We C A R E. Absolutely. We we do yeah. care. We're fixing things. We're fixing things here on on this old marketing. All right, let's move along here quickly to this next story, which we'll cover very, very quickly because it's just a fun, quick, you know, notable note when in the world of content marketing and acquisitions. Um, so th- this comes courtesy of martechseries.com, uh, which the headline here is NP Digital's latest acquisition provides enhanced customer insights for analytically driven marketers. That is an SEO Very optimized. Nice. Well done, SEO I've people. ever seen one in my life. Yeah, well done. Keywords, keywords. Uh, you, you can just look at their little interface where it went, good job, 100% keyword, (laughs) nice job. Okay. (laughs) NP Digital, a leader in performance marketing, has completed negotiations to acquire one of the industry's most popular search marketing tools, Answer the Public. Uh, And Answer the Public does exactly that. It's a great tool, by the way, fantastic tool. I've used it many, many times. By listening to autocomplete data at search engines such as Google, of the 3 billion search queries entered by users every day, almost all trigger an autocomplete suggestion by the search engine. This valuable consumer insight can then be used by marketers to create fresh in-demand content. NP Digital's Uber Suggest has already built upon components of Answer the Public's technology to meet the specific needs of Uber Suggest customers, but businesses of all sizes, from SMBs to global enterprises, can now access this unique data visualization experience. The acquisition of Dancer the Public will further expand our technology capabilities of Uber Suggest, providing deeper insights into marketing, said Lisa Oman, COO of Uber Suggest. The article goes on to talk a little bit more about the uh, Uber Suggest as well as NP Digital Technology and Answer the Public. Um, I have got a quick take on no, this. No, no, no. Go ahead. Do, I want to hear your take. Jump out at your you article, but you know, you know what the take is. So, so go ahead. Well, the, I just want to congratulate, um, you know, the 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 folks that had put together Answer the Public because, first of all, it's a great tool, um, but th- more importantly, this was a content marketing platform, uh, at least what we would classically call a content marketing platform. When it was launched, um, there was a, a company called Coverage Book um, that is a PR-related company, and they launched the whole answerthepublic.com uh, little tool, I have to assume, as a content marketing play, right? I don't know if it was to get broader awareness or to actually offer up SEO-related services or all those kinds of things, but they had done a wonderful job of creating this tool out there, a very valuable tool. So what I love about this is, um, you know, without any intimate knowledge of what's going on inside baseball here about what's getting acquired, how much it's getting acquired for, or anything like that, it seems to me that what Coverage Book has done here is gotten the value that it wanted out of Answer the Public, gotten a great, uh, you know, a, a great price for it, and ultimately uh, said, we're going to sell it. We're going to sell that piece of it. So, again, I don't have any particular intimate knowledge of what's going on here or how it worked, but from my perspective, what it looks like is, is that they built a great content marketing platform and then sold it as an asset which is just a wonderful wonderful no, story I, I, if it's true. I, what I I love the fact that they <laughs> that they value their marketing as an asset and somebody else did as well and did the deal. Yeah, I don't know the details behind why they yeah, would want to get exactly. rid of it as a marketing asset, but absolutely this and we've talked about that. You know, what if Salesforce wanted to sell Dreamforce or uh, flip my right, funnel exactly. was another one, a great one that was out there. You know, you've got HubSpot's inbound, you've got a lot of things that people look at them as user conferences or or it's such an essential part of the marketing, but you could look at that separately and say, yeah, absolutely, we can sell those things. So, And the, the interesting thing to me, which is I've actually asked this of a couple of other people because it's come up, right? So one of the things that I'm working with, a, I'll just, just call it, I'm not allowed to say who it is, but let's call it a one of the Silicon Valley, like huge companies in enterprise software that you would know the name of. And as you might expect, over the course of the last 10 years, they've acquired many, many companies, marketing automation companies, they've acquired, you know, uh, content management companies, they've acquired, you know, all sorts of other enterprise technologies. And of course, along with that came their blogs and their resource centers and their valuable tools. And the interesting thing is, is that 
how those things get integrated into the what the, the problem that I'm working on with this company is how do you integrate those things into the broader ecosystem, right? So in other words, how does a, you know, a blog for this company that gets acquired by a ginormous company, why, get integrated into their ecosystem of other blogs? You know, does it, does it continue to operate in a silo or do you do integrate it in as part of an editorial team or, you know, what's the governance, the measurement, all those sorts of things. And, but the interesting thing to me is that how was it value? How were those things valuated when they actually did the valuation of the acquisition? Because I think increasingly you have to have that, right? You have to, not only are you buying the technology, the customers, the revenue, all the things, but you're also buying an asset within the marketing space as well. You know, when I think about, you know, HubSpot and Inbound or Salesforce and Dreamforce and all those things, those are assets for the business. And should be considered assets in the business and should be considered as part of any valuation that the company goes through, whether it's Wall Street or a private venture company. And so I, I just think it's a really interesting idea here. That's that why I love when you way. get a chief marketing officer that has publishing and media experience because they look at the different parts of their marketing with different eyes and they can see, oh, this can be an asset or this is an asset. This is this newsletter list is an asset. You know, this podcast listenership is an asset instead of just looking at something saying, oh, it's not driving leads and we're killing it. You know, that's that's why I yeah. love that that background. You're seeing more and more of that. You're seeing more CMOs get hired with publishing background, but still exactly still a long way to go. Yeah, exactly. Well, speaking of new launches and value, let's quickly cover this story, which is uh, exclusive. The Jonas Brothers, again, that perennial huge technology VC firm that is the Jonas Brothers, backs the new subscription media biz for celebs. Interesting launch here. The Jonas Brothers are helping to launch this new subscription media company called Scriber that allows celebrities to charge their biggest fans for exclusive content via text messages. Uh, This coming to us courtesy of Axios, of course. The goal is to bring the subscription economy to Hollywood without using big tech platforms as the intermediaries. By launching via SMS messaging, Scriber avoids having to pay Google and Apple App Store commission fees for the subscriptions it sells. Mm -hmm. Fascinating model there. Scriber is meant for professional creators with sizable followings like musicians, actors, athletes, and influencers. The company is launching in partnership with Nick, Joe, and Kevin Jonas and will add more celebrity creators in June. They're being targeted at the top 1% or 5% of a celebrity's existing follower base, says the journalist and tech entrepreneur Brian Goldsmith, who is launching the company. Uh, and then basically with backing from the Jonas Brothers, you're trying to get a 1%, uh, says, says, says them. Basically, if you got 1% of the combined 50 million Instagram followers on the Jonas Brothers and you got them subscribed to this text messaging app, the trio would make around $30 million. So interesting new idea uh, Mr. Polizzi, it seems like SMS and text messaging. Yeah, it's interesting. I uh, I was one of the ones years ago that said SMS and text distribution were not going to work because it was too personal and people didn't want to subscribe to those things. But we've seen over the past few years, as you said, there's been an evolution. People are open to it. Uh, they will opt into it. It was just for a while, you, as you know, it was mostly location based. Like you know, you'd take your family to Disney, and while I'm at Disney, I want all the text messages, and then I want to stop when I'm done. But this, this, there's something here for super fans and those with a large audience. I think that something like this, I don't know if Scriber itself, but something like this will absolutely be a success. You're seeing this happen on the local level where you want to subscribe specifically to a reporter that's covering a small suburb, local news. What the best way to get information? I'm gonna, you know, they're gonna send you a text first thing in the morning, and you'll pay five dollars a month for that or whatever. That's absolutely a thing that's going to happen. But I really do think that. If you have a large audience and you want to convert a small percentage and you want to have more control over that and go outside uh, the social networks and the, the Apples and the Googles of the world, this is this is something you should absolutely look at. And, and I wouldn't have thought that that was the case a couple of years ago. Yeah, I, I, I still wonder. I have questions about this. I, I, I'm not sure Jonas I buy Brothers it. Doing it. Um, you, you hate them? Well, it's not that necessarily. I mean, look, it's not. It's not that. I, you know, I, I got no hate for the Jonas Brothers. Um, but it's. It, it, I just don't know that I buy that people are going to be satisfied with subscribing, actually paying money to get text messages. You know, because let's keep in mind that it's text messages. It's not, you know, you might get a link or something to something and you could, you know, get your, you know, super fan T-shirt or whatever. But it's just you're getting text messages. There's no rich sort of interaction here. And I think over – I think 
it might attract a very, I mean, and maybe they're right. Maybe 1% of big followings to subscribe to this thing. Maybe it is a very niche play for very big celebrities. But it just seems to me that, I mean, look, this is the kind of thing that Twitter needs to be solving, right? This is this is exactly the, the, the thing that, that Twitter is built to solve if they can monetize their, you know, subscriptions and, and, and create those kinds of platforms for celebrities because they're already there. And the fact that, you know, going back to our original story on Twitter, it's like, why isn't Twitter launching this service? Why isn't this available? Oh, my God. It would them? be such it wouldn't uh, be that be, hard for them to execute this either. Um, no, I know. It's just so it's just so like staring them in the face and get up and get a, it, yeah, it get, seems become you know, part of my club and you'll get a tweet from me every day that nobody else yep. gets or whatever. And that's right. Yeah, that's right. Or just subscribe and make sure that you're subscribing. It's a private, there's a private list where you're getting stuff that nobody else is getting. You get DMs, you get, you know, all this stuff. Yep. It's like, it, it's just, it's, it's, it seems like a, a no brainer to me, but we'll you see. Know, who, do, who am I? Yeah. Just yeah. trying to no, fix no, things. Yeah. You and Nick Jonas. Yeah, absolutely. I'm with you. All right, our last story that we're going to cover before we get to some rants and raves here. Uh, I mean, you can basically do a Google search and find a few things here, but we'll actually link to the Justice Department's um, press release on this, which is just odd. It's just there's you know a little bit of well, yeah, it's it, but it's a little bit of also kind of delicious as well. The headline here is that former employee uh, of NFT Marketplace, and by the way, the NFT Marketplace in question here is OpenSea, is charged in the first ever digital asset insider trading scheme. Uh, Damien Williams, the United States Attorney for the Southern District of New York, and Michael J. Driscoll, Assistant Director in Charge of the New York Field Office of the Federal Bureau of Investigation, very formal, very authoritarian sounding, uh, announced the unsealing of an indictment. Nathaniel Chastain, a former product manager at Ozone Networks, uh, a.k.a. OpenSea, with wire fraud and money laundering in connection with a scheme to commit insider training on non-fungible tokens. Basically, put very simply, uh, what he was doing, uh, according to this indictment, was by you know getting wind that these OpenSea these NFT projects were going to hit the front page of OpenSea and before they did he would go in and buy them and then basically transfer them through a number of wallets to try and hide his trail and then ultimately when they did hit the front page they would get you know a hit and then he would resell them for a big big profit um, what do you think about all this? Uh, th- this this is fascinating to me on a couple of levels, which is one, it's it's the first time we're actually starting to see some teeth in you know this this non fungible marketplace. And we talked last week about Seth Green and all of that. Is this the beginning of actually starting to get in some some teeth to regulatory or or you know uh, some yeah? Well, it's, some it seems that way. It's interesting because you sent me the article and then I sent Mitch Jackson a note. So Mitch presented at uh, Creator Economy Expo and Mitch. So Mitch is with yeah. uh, Jackson and Wilson Law and he's really been his group has really been focusing on Web three more than the others that I've seen. So he got back. <laughs> I just asked for thoughts and he sends me eighteen paragraphs, which are amazing. But so what Mitch is saying is that you're going to see more state and federal law enforcement agencies enforce this. And I love this line from Mitch. He says, frankly, over the last three decades of practice, I've observed more innocent and negligent mistakes and more intentional wrongdoing in the Web3 space over the last two years than in the last 35 years of practicing law. So there's a lot of funny business going on either way. But isn't oh it crazy? Gosh, it's crazy? But I think the, funny but business. the thing that he brings up that is important is, and this is referenced in the indictment, it says to conceal his purchase. Uh, this is what Mitch says to conceal his purchase of features NFTs before they appeared on OpenSea's homepage. Nathaniel, you know, the guy, Nathaniel Chastain, the defendant, used anonymous OpenSea yeah. accounts instead of his publicly known account. So he was trying, he was doing it on purpose. He's definitely doing it on purpose, right? There's no, there's no question. So this here is he's doing regardless it on of what it was. I mean, he's trying to conceal. He has knowledge. There's going to be money that changes hands. I don't know, you know, whether you consider it property or security or not. This is a problem. So, I mean, my whole thing over and over again, as we covered the set thing last week and this one this week, is that if you're doing anything in the Web three space, you need to have a legal representation that knows what they're doing that can advise you properly because most i won't say most many of the projects that are launching out there are doing so without any legal oversight at all and i can't imagine doing that 
or they're just guessing exactly what the, or they're just coming, taking right? a chance they're and just, saying whatever you know and this is you yeah. know this is a lot like the days in 95 96 97 on you know it, on the web yeah, where we didn't exactly. know i'll oh, just launch it well these regulations are coming so here we go yeah i mean this goes back to the days of you know in the early days of the the web 1.0 right you know companies like napster and uh, you know, and and MP3.com, you know, both of which I had a little bit, you know, to do with because I was in the consulting back then, and the same things were true, right? You know, there was sort of like, well, it's kind of legal, but kind of not legal, right? And and so there was this real fuzziness over what was available, you know, what could you download versus what could you just listen to? Could you stream, you know, content? Could you, because none of those, you know, it seems odd now, because I'll, I'll, so of course, there's all sorts of settled law on this now, but in yep. those days, there wasn't. And, and, and you know, and, and there, everything from, you know, um, you know, all the, all those sort of streaming services and everything were, were, were just the wild west. Crazy. Then. Yeah. I, I would imagine the next, and, and the thing is, we want to see regulation. Everyone in this industry wants to. Of course, want to know what the you rules want, are. You want the rules of the road. This is why Twitter's falling down, right? Uncertainty. Exactly. Everyone wants to know what 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 it's are we all, playing? What are, what are the yeah. rules? What's the box we need to play in? Just tell us, please. And that is, and, and that's such a good point, right? When when you look at the marketplace, the marketplace, you, you know, you, we always think, ah, oh, the marketplace loves good news and hates bad news. No, the, the marketplace doesn't really care about bad news news that much they, they and they and they may or may not like the good news but what the marketplace hates is uncertainty we don't want that's yeah, the, or that's, any, we, yeah we just like to know what's no coming. surprises that's right let's do that yeah come on people absolutely yeah all right we are fixing things left and right here and it is now time for our rants and raves where joe and i go off in a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave that makes us feel like we've created winnie the pooh or makes us feel like we've created some horror movie with Piglet. You should see this thing, by the way. You should you, you should right. see this. I'm going to look it up after we're done. With the Winnie the Pooh horror. I'm not going to look it up while I, I'm not going to look it up creepy. during the podcast. I can't look it up right now. But yeah. after we're done with the podcast, and after I produce the podcast, and I sweat and I do all the things that I do for you, then then I'm going to to watch this. Is that okay? Solar system <laughs> that is Joe Polizzi's life. Ladies and gentlemen, what you've heard today is Joe Polizzi bitching about his life. All right. Do you want me, me to go, go first, first or shall I have you go two first. quick raves. The first one right. is, uh, I love this story. I had a few people send this to me. And the title of this is, uh, this is from USA Today. Remember the no phone guy watching Tiger Woods? He signed a merchandise deal with Michelob Ultra. If you get a chance, look at this picture. So basically, it's Tiger Woods. This is... Um, where was this? U.S. Open? Whatever. The big tournament a couple weeks ago. I'm so out of it on my golf these days. But so Tiger just hit a great shot, and you have 30 people in the background, and every one of them has their phone in their hands. They're taking a picture, video, whatever they're doing, except one guy right behind Tiger. He's totally into it, holding his Michelob Ultra can. And Michelob Ultra contacted that dude and did a really serious commercial with him and is leveraging that and so i love the fact that michelob ultra leaned into that the other thing i love is i'm just so i'm so going boomer with this gotta have chuck be checking my phone every five minutes i'm so totally done with it i love people that are just in the present moment living it and i so i love this guy so 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 hats off to mark the michelob ultra guy yeah i mean it really says yeah this is the state of where we're at right now everybody's looking at their phone and is, is taking the the image of tiger and this guy is all in just watching tiger hit that ball thank you thank a thank you Michelob ultra guy and then just a quick rave i just finished reading a book called fans first by jesse cole uh jesse is the founder the owner of the savannah bananas you've heard me talk about the savannah bananas on this program before i have yeah. this and i don't I don't rave about business books that often that don't come from either one of us. This one I this one I love. This is fa- I'm absolutely taking many things that I'm going to be implementing in our business uh specifically from what uh, Jesse puts in this and he thinks about I mean you and you would dig this book especially Robert cuz you're all in on customer customer oh, experience. I can't wait. Yeah. This is ex- this is a customer experience yeah. book like I've never seen before to look at 
every little I'll just give you one little one little thing that I love. Every game they have somebody from their Savannah Bananas team go incognito and experience the game as a fan every time to to notice to think to make sure things are right so that you have to go park you have to go get your ticket you have to do all the things you have to stand in line and then they all make suggestions on how they can improve the game um it's just fantastic i can't recommend it highly enough fans first jesse cole jesse did a great job with this book so there you go fin ah i love it i love it so what do you got all right I got well. I got a. I got a quick thing, um, and it's just literally something I just want to make sure everybody's paying attention to because there's a lot going on in the news right now. There's a lot going on with the Supreme Court, um, and this is yet another thing that's happening. And it's just it's related to what we do for a living. So I thought I would I would just sort of call attention to it. The what we'll link to in the show notes is a CNBC article, but there's a number of media outlets actually covering this. The headline is the Supreme Court blocks Texas social media law that tech companies warned would allow hateful content to run rampant. Basically the is you look at the what the you know the the bullet points are as it were Basically, the Supreme Court on Tuesday, and that was Tuesday of this week, blocked a controversial uh, Texas social media law from taking effect. Uh, The tech industry, of course, and other opponents warned it would basically allow hateful content to run rampant. uh, And it would – the legislation, the law that they blocked – would ostensibly prohibit online platforms like Facebook and Twitter and others, and basically anyone really online, from moderating or removing content based on viewpoint, based on their their view. Uh, A lower court had initially blocked the law, but they appealed it, and the appeals court allowed it to move forward uh, as it deliberates the broader case, which I guess is around, you know, quote unquote, free speech on these platforms. And the Supreme Court on Tuesday blocked this uh, law uh, for now. Basically, it's not dead. It, they, they've just blocked it for now until they can either hear it or it changes or they find you know new standing or, or, or whatever it is. I, I, it is in, in many ways, like other Supreme Court decisions right now, it is baffling to me that we're having this conversation in 2022. But we are having this conversation in 2022. It's 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 unbelievable to me that we're actually discussing whether or not private companies like Twitter or Facebook or other media companies should be moderating or curating um, their their content. And you know, we've we've talked at great length about the tension that that exists between allowing content to exist on places like Facebook and Twitter. Um, versus the media company's responsibility, and we've talked that the media companies have to take responsibility for this. There is a, there is they are media companies. They are you know they've they've fought forever to not be considered media companies to be considered platforms, and then then they basically came back and said, hey, listen, we need to be able to moderate this stuff because people are just spewing hateful things and dangerous things, and you can't live in both worlds, and so. There will come a reckoning, and there should be a reckoning with regulation very much like there is on mainstream media. We've talked at great length about how we're fans of that on this particular show, and I'm a huge fan of that, of saying the regulation needs to happen. We need to look at these companies as media companies, but they also should have the right to curate not only the responsibility to curate this and to get it right, but the responsibility as well as the right to be able to curate whatever it is they want to allow on their platform. It is their platform after all. We are just renters in it. And so I think this is just something we need to pay attention to and and look at and make sure that we're, you know, sending sending letters or whatever the right thing is to do to, yep. to our Congress critters to make sure that we're getting good, sensible regulation and legislation done that helps these social media and other media companies that are becoming so much part of our cultural lives the ability to execute their own free speech but have the responsibility for I think getting it right. It's so interesting that Elon and the people that follow him that say they want the free speech on Twitter. And I'm like, what does that mean? Like you want them to say anything? Right. Can you can they say anything say they want no matter the reper- repercussions? Is that what you want? Be careful yeah. what you ask for. I don't think we want to yeah. go there. 
And there are places that you can have you can have yeah. uninterrupted. There are places on the web, if you'd like, especially on the dark web, that there is a hundred percent free speech. You can say whatever you want. But if it's on a, if it's a private company, well, that's exactly media right. company, I mean, it's different. You have responsibilities. So, you know, and we've and we've talked about that before with the you know with the rise of some of the the niche oriented social platforms that are you know that will struggle as we've predicted uh, and and as seemingly coming true they'll they'll struggle because once you create that you know the the benefit of having a mass audience on a platform like Facebook or Twitter is that you can create the tension right you can create the tension between the the you know the left and the right or the you know the pro and the con or or whatever it happens to be and that's what you know that's what provides engagement that's what provides the level of content interchange and all of that happens when you're on a niche where you're basically preaching to the choir where it's all you know everybody is in one particular camp everybody's going yeah i i get it you know and so why am why are you posting in that mm-hmm. there's nothing to post because everybody believes in everything you say so there's it becomes very you know it's like crickets in there because nobody cares and so it's that tension that's important so it, the the idea that um, you know the, the the flip side of that coin is however and this is what Facebook has gotten so much crap over is that that tension then breeds sort of uncivility and in some cases even violence and so it's like where does that where do you have to stop and draw the line? And for those media companies, they just have to edit. They just have to make sure that they're moderating and they're curating things in a way that keeps the peace that they want to keep, and and let and then let the marketplace decide. It's going to get interesting. We, I feel like it's just started, it really even is. though it's been going on for a long time. I think it's going to get really interesting here with what's uh, happening to our society. You're in uh, San Diego, correct? Yeah. I am in San Diego this week. Yes, I'm in San Diego. I'm finishing up uh, a week here of Content Tech, which was a really fun little event. Um, you know, still suffering a little bit from our from our COVID hangover and, and people travel yep. bans and all that sort of thing. But we had a small group of people here talking about content technology. It was a the speakers were outstanding. Every speaker we had was just outstanding. And it was just a lovely, valuable conversation to have around technology and content. And yeah, I'm headed home today. I'm going back home today and work, work, back work, to work, 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 How about you? Scotch. Uh, what am I doing? Uh, I am, uh, I'm going golfing later today. <laughs> Enjoying that. My, uh, lovely. The, lo- the, the, the Joe, the Joe Polizzi yeah, exactly. solar system. The love continues. of my life is having her 50th birthday next week. And we are having a big old party, which is, it's, she's doing something. She's basically doing, um, random acts of kindness and she's asking anyone who wants to get involved. I'll, I'll be sending this link out on Twitter. I put it in my Joe Polizzi, uh, com newsletter, uh, where she's trying to get people to, on June 8th, do a random act of kindness. You know, go get blood, go buy coffee for somebody that would be a surprise, go visit somebody at a nursing home, you know, those types of things that you wouldn't normally do. So she's trying, we're trying to get as many people as possible. She's hoping to get at least 50 people. So anybody that wants to help out with that, please would love it if you do that. And uh, we can sort of, uh, I don't know, all make the world a better place by doing one little thing. So for her I like for it. her big bash. I like it so there you go mm-hmm. I like it I like it a lot well, we, did. we fixed a lot we did. today we usually I do mean, but we, this we, one we, I think we, we fixed, fixed more we, than what we usually do I'm very proud of us today I think today. we fixed yeah we fixed more yeah, yeah. we all did hashtag fixing. all the fixing yeah. all right well that is it we're going to sign off here thanks to Joe uh, aka Dan Bagonis um, thanks for, Dan uh, the wonderful story ideas <laughs> Thanks, Dan. Um, Heath Dingwell at Heath Dingwell on Twitter. Jeff Cram, thank you, Jeff, very much for your uh, your your story ideas. And all of you out there, hashtag us up, won't you? Hashtag us up uh, with uh, hashtag this old marketing, and we love those story ideas on the Twitter. We love getting them. Uh, in the meantime, if you want to get all the goodness of the show notes and the links and everything we talked about, or dive into any of the other. 325 episodes. Just get on over to our wonderful little website at thisoldmarketing.site. And until we meet again, remember, folks, it is your story to tell.